Get ready for a journey into the heart of Bridgeport politics with In Absentia, a new podcast from Connecticut Public's investigative team, The Accountability Project. Learn about the city's past and present political dysfunction and the systems that enable it. Tune in wherever you get your podcasts. Funding provided by Francisco L. Borges and the Melville Charitable Trust. What's your superstition? You're not supposed to cut your nails at night. Not to wear an item of clothing for the first time on Fridays. Uh, If you put your purse on the floor, you will lose your money. I always put my shoes and socks on. I go sock, sock, shoe, shoe. I cannot put shoes on tables. I have feared that if I sat on a chair that was previously occupied by someone who was pregnant, that I might get pregnant too. I put seven strokes of deodorant under each armpit. I always thought it was my lucky number. I'm Kyone Wolf. Today on Audacious, a look at and underneath superstitions. Plus this guy. I wanted to break as many superstitions as I could in one day to see what it would do to me. Find out what happened to him after the news. From Connecticut Public Radio in Hartford, this is Audacious. I'm Kyone Wolf. That, of course, is Stevie Wonder, who, according to his lyrics, believes superstition is not the way. But on today's show, we learn that for many people, it is. One researcher fills us in on the history behind a few superstitions. An anxiety expert helps us recognize the lines between superstitions, trauma responses, and OCD. And finally, a filmmaker broke as many superstitions as he possibly could in one day to see what it would do to him. Now, let's get a definition of the word. Merriam-Webster defines superstition as a belief or practice resulting from ignorance, fear of the unknown, trust in magic or chance, or a false conception of causation. So superstitions aren't necessarily a religious belief or an urban legend or a tradition, but as you'll hear, there are definitely some overlaps. When I was working on putting the show together, our social media editor Megan Fitzgerald and I used all of our platforms to ask folks about their superstitions. We got over 200 responses, and throughout the show, you're going to hear 13 of them. Speaking of 13, you may know that it's considered an unlucky number in some parts of the world. Lauren Kamrowski works with me here at Connecticut Public, and she told me about how when she's booking her seat on a plane. I I certainly don't choose number 13, and I swear that I've seen planes that don't have a row 13 either. What would happen if you had no choice? But to book a seat in that 13th row. I would feel really stressed about it, I think. I probably would do as much as I can, short of going crazy, to try to change my seat. Uh, You know, work with the airline to change it or try to talk to somebody else and see if they wanted to change it. Harder with, you know, I'll give you a free drink kind of thing. But uh, I know, and it makes no sense. Uh, You know, plane goes down, row 15 is going down with row 13. (laughs) Thankfully, I've never been in that position where I've been forced into 13, you know, but you walk on that plane and you're like, hmm, that person must be pretty confident. (laughs) (laughs) That was Lauren Komrowski, and she was right. A few airlines do not have a 13th row, like Lufthansa, Air France, and Ryanair. 
That's a pretty powerful superstition. Katie Tierney of Cheshire, Connecticut, told me about her superstition. I cannot put shoes on tables in any way, shape, or form. So like regular shoes, shoes in a box, shoes in a bag, no shoes on tables ever. So if you go shopping for shoes and you walk through the front door and you have a bag and the shoes are in the box, they go on the floor or not on the table? Not on the table. Nope. If somebody puts them on the table, I take them off the table. Why do you, I mean, superstitions, you know, by definition, often don't really make sense. But why do you think of all things, shoes on tables brings bad luck? I don't know. I was thinking about this because I knew you're going to ask me something like that. And I sort of like in my head, what I see is like body parts in the wrong spot. I don't know why that sort of makes sense to me, but um, it's definitely not for me about the dirt. I don't, dirt doesn't really bother me in any way, shape or form. And especially since like brand new clean shoes, I still can't have them on the table, even when they're packaged up. Maybe it has something to do with the order of things where they need to be from top to bottom. I don't know. Does this feeling of discomfort of things being out of order, shoes being on a counter, does that also extend into any other ways that you move through the world? I really don't think so. I mean, I'm pretty, uh, you know, for a healthcare provider, I'm pretty not germ phobic. I believe in germs. I believe in coexisting with them despite the last year, but I don't know. I don't really think it affects me. Otherwise, I think I just... It just is one of those things left over from an early age where it's visceral. When I see it, it has to be fixed every time. That was Katie Tierney. Some superstitions are a little less common, but no less fascinating, like Ben Grippos. I put seven strokes of deodorant under each arm as a superstition of having the number seven under each armpit for good luck. Now, are we talking like one stroke down is one, one stroke up is two, or is down up one stroke? No, like one, two, three, four. Oh, you just go down, 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 down. No, if you're talking about actual swipes, it's 14, but I count a stroke as one. Up, down. Okay. Some days I'll mess it up and I'll be like one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, and eight, or do like a half swipe. And then I have to, you know, balance it out. So this one's getting six if this one got eight on accident. Was it the number seven that came first? Yeah, I always thought it was my lucky number. If, let's say, you wake up and the house is on fire and you think, I got to get my deodorant on real quick, and you don't have time to do seven. In the unlikely event that that happened, how do you think you would react I'd be fine. Like there's days I don't do it. Like I'm okay with having nothing because it's still there from the previous application. Even though if there's nothing there, the good luck is still in your armpit. So while the deodorant may fade, the good luck stays. Yeah. Absorbed. (laughs) (laughs) That was Ben Grippo of West Hartford. Hassan Hodges of Ann Arbor, Michigan has a superstition. When it's time to put his shoes and socks on, it must go sock, sock. Shoe, shoe. Why? He can pinpoint the origin of his superstition to a specific date, time, and place. Uh, This started on September 11th, 2001. That particular day, 
I was at my grandfather's funeral. So I was getting ready for, for that funeral. So I'm getting dressed with fancy clothes that day. I'm in a hotel room and I put my sock on, then I put my shoe on and immediately thought, Ooh, something is not right here. Something is, is out of the ordinary. And then, um, I heard my mom call from the adjoining room next door that said, turn on the television. There's something going on in, uh, in New York. And that moment I'm like, okay, bad things happen because I went sock shoe and didn't even need to get to the other one. So ever since then, sock, sock, shoe, shoe. Well, on behalf of the world, Hassan, thank you for your service. I take it very serious. It's a, it's a responsibility here to keep everybody safe just through, through my one random action. Because the one time I messed up, very bad things happened. That was Hassan Hodges. And when he told me about a superstition, it made me wonder about where the line is between a superstition and a response to trauma. I'd also heard from a few friends whose lives would be almost halted if they didn't obey the rules of their superstitions, making me wonder about the line between superstition and OCD. So, as I do for all things anxiety, I turn to Dr. David Tolan. He's the director of the Anxiety Disorder Center and Center for Cognitive Behavioral Therapy at the Institute of Living in Hartford. I asked about that line between superstition, OCD, and trauma responses. Admittedly, the line is a fuzzy one. But where we tend to draw it is in two areas. One is, is the degree of misery that these symptoms produce. And then the other is the impact on the person's functioning. So if you have a superstition and it's not bothering you and it's not making your life any worse, then it's just a superstition. But if it's making you miserable, that is, if you feel really uncomfortable if you can't do your superstition or it's starting to impact your ability to get your work done or to be with your family or to be with your friends, then that's when we may have crossed the line into something like OCD. And when it comes to the trauma responses, like there was, a, there was another woman who said that she... When she was a kid, she left her pajama drawer open just a crack, and that night her house almost burned down. So while she knows that it wasn't her pajama drawer that caused the house to burn down, for the rest of her life, she always makes sure that she closes that pajama drawer. That sounds like a trauma response and a kind of superstition. How do you respond to that one? It can certainly be both. I mean, one of the things that we know from both humans and animals is that superstitions can arise from accidental conditioning experiences. So if something happens where two stimuli get paired inadvertently, um, you can pick up and have the same kind of reaction to both of them that you would have reserved just for one. So when somebody has a traumatic event that's related to putting things away in a drawer, those are two things that theoretically shouldn't be associated, but in that person's mind, they become associated. And can be forever that way. As somebody who sees a lot of different ways that people cope with anxieties, would you say that superstitions are overall like a healthy, good way to deal with anxiety or something else? Well, I don't know if I would necessarily call them a healthy, good way to deal with anxiety, but it has its place. I mean, if you are a person who is prone to superstitious beliefs, and I believe that's around a quarter of the population, and engaging in superstitious behavior gives you an illusion of control. And that can be anxiety reducing. 
So certainly there is a subset of the population who seems to rely on some of these behaviors as a way of mastering their anxiety. I'm not saying it's the best way to master your anxiety, and I'm not even saying it's, it's all that adaptive for everybody, but some people have found a way to make it work. For any psychiatric disorder, whether it's OCD or anything else, you know, they tend to have fuzzy boundaries. Boundaries between normal and unhealthy are really messy. So, you know, when we get into superstitions, we're starting to approach that fuzzy line. That was Dr. David Tolan of the Anxieties Disorder Center at the Institute of Living in Hartford. When we get back... I think that's just a wonder of humanity and how we find ways to just help ourselves in the spinning madness of the universe. The author of a book about superstitions from around the world on what these beliefs and practices do for us, and why a filmmaker in London wanted to break as many superstitions as possible in one day. I'm Kyone Wolf. This is Audacious. Stay with me. This is Audacious. I'm Kyone Wolf. Whether you're superstitious or, as Michael Scott from The Office says, I am a little stitious. On today's show about superstitions, you'll learn a lot about humanity. You've been hearing stories from a few folks about their superstitions, and some of the backgrounds of these beliefs are cultural. Like Tracy Mind Evolution Caldwell, she loves bananas. No, like she really loves bananas so much that when she was a little girl, she wouldn't stop eating them until her Jamaican grandma told her that if she ate a banana after the sun goes down, she'd be guaranteed with what she calls bubble guts. That is like the worst. Bubble guts. <laughs> That's exactly what it is. Bubble guts. Yes. Yes. It's like blub, blub, blub. So I don't want to get the bubble guts. So I was like, bam, from that day forward, I was not eating a banana after dark. Now, I didn't discuss this with anybody. Fast forward now, so this is about 30 years later, I'm hanging out with my famous friends, you may know them, Charmaine and Tiana Glass Trip. Oh, yeah. So I'm hanging out with them at their house, and it's dark outside. I don't know what season it was. It might have been, you know, this time of year when it gets dark mad early. She was like, hey, Trey, you hungry? And I was like, yeah, yeah. She's like, would you like a banana? And I was like, oh, no, it's dark out. You can't eat a banana after dark. And she was like, what the hell are you talking about? And I was like, so you, you eat bananas after the sun goes down? And she was like, everybody does. And I was like, well, no. And so I tell her this story about what my grandmother said. And she was like, um, yeah. So I think you may have misinterpreted what your grandmother was saying. Like, perhaps she meant, you know, it's dark now. Just go to bed and stop eating up the damn bananas, right? So here I was, 36 years old, like, damn, yeah, I guess I can't eat a banana after dark. But the other day, I was like, let me just try this. I had bought some bananas. They were looking real pretty, nice and yellow. And um, so I said, let me have a banana. It was after dark. The sun was down and I was like, I'm going to risk this. I peeled a banana. I only peeled it halfway. I'm eating it. I'm like, okay, this is okay. This is all right. So, you know, when you're eating a banana, you get to a point in a banana where you got to just get it totally naked because you can't hold on to the peel and the banana at the same time and eat it without looking savage. So I go and I like make this banana naked. And wouldn't you know, at the very bottom, like right when I took it all off, it's like doo-doo brown. And I was like, this is why you don't mess up. Like after 43 years, I listened to 
my friends tell me I can eat a banana. I go and I do it and it looks like so my stomach was like and I didn't want to eat any more bananas. So I'm never, ever going against that. I'll never eat a banana after sundown. And if you try to force one on me, I'll just feel like you don't care about me. (laughs) That was Tracy Mind Evolution Caldwell. Caroline Finnegan, also from Hartford, has this superstition. Uh, If you put your purse on the floor, you will lose your money. My mom taught us that. Do you remember it ever happening around you? Oh, yes. Yes. If we would go out, for example, to eat and somebody would put their purse on the floor, my mother would just, she'd be like, I, and she's Colombian. She'd be like, I know. Como pueden hacer eso? And like, and like, for her, it was very much a way of like how you treat your money. Like it's a respect thing. And like, how dare you be so careless with the, like, the, the holder of the wealth? And so I learned and now I picked it up. Like if I see a purse on the floor, I get like, I don't even know why. Like, it's just, it's like hackles come up and I'm like, what are you doing? Have you no respect? Do you think that in some ways this superstition makes you feel closer to your mom? It does. Yeah. And it makes me feel closer to like her mom and her mom, like, because this is something that came, like, I've asked her about it. Like, wait, she's like, this is como, you know, like her and all her sisters, like my cousins and I, we've all had this. We all know do not put your purse on the floor. And like, and it connects me to the the larger sort of like psychosis of my family. Yes. Thanks to Caroline Finnegan for sharing. Christina Solemn from Staunton, Massachusetts has this superstition. In my family, you're not supposed to cut your nails at night. What do you know about where this came from? I was actually talking to my siblings because I know we've talked about this before and all of us had a different idea of what it meant. So one of us thought that cutting your nails at night was cutting away all of the blessings that you gained that day. And then another one was cutting your nails at night was opening a fresh spot for the evil spirits that are out at night to come in. And another one just thought it was bad luck. Which one do you think it is? The cutting away the blessings. You were saying when we were talking about this, I don't know if this is a Filipino thing or just my family thing. Yeah. Do you know if anybody else who's Filipino has this belief? I did a quick Google and saw that it is definitely a Filipino thing. It also is a thing in other Asian countries, in some some other Asian countries, at least in Japan. That was Christina Solemn. Eileen Ruiz from New Britain, Connecticut, told me about one superstition she grew up with, about what happens if a broom brushes over someone's foot. You're just sleeping and someone's in your way. And you like brush their toes and the person will yell back at you like, Mira, que? No quiere que me case. Like, Por que? <laughs> now, do you, what's the earliest you remember being aware of this superstition? We visited Puerto Rico a lot when I was a kid. So I had to have been like 10, 11. So I remember seeing my aunts and cousins cleaning and I would help, you know, grab a broom. That's like the easiest thing to do. Sweep up any breadcrumbs after breakfast or something. And I remember one time accidentally sweeping my cousin's toes and she said to me, Mira, que no quiere que me case? You don't want me to get married? I said, why are you saying that to me? She's like, you just brushed my feet with the broom. You're not supposed to do that. And she laughed and she's like, that's what they say. But no, really, don't brush my feet. (laughs) (laughs) I guess it doesn't apply now because you're married. Don't even think about it. I don't even bat an eye. 
But if there are like older Latinos or Latinos who have a strong connection, you know, to the island or to the culture, like I do try to be mindful not to brush anyone's toes because I don't want to insult them, especially if it's a woman. And I can only attribute it to the societal, you know, patriarchal bullshit of like, you know, one day as a woman, you have to get married. And I do think a lot of the Latino culture, like you pride yourself on being clean. And and I think a broom also helps with that because you're sweeping away the stuff that's just sitting in your home. Well, I've asked everything I've planned on. Is there anything else you want to say about this this particular superstition? It's total bullshit because I've had people brush my toes and I'm married, so. <laughs> Debunked. Debunked. By Eileen Ruiz. <laughs> Not true. Well, if something happens, will you will you blame the broom? No, but someone will somewhere in another dimension. Like, ah, remember that one time you were at your cousin's house? And she got, yeah, she got you back? Yeah. Humble yourself, Eileen. <laughs> no one's immune to the dirty broom. That was Eileen Ruiz from New Britain. I wanted to hear more about the origins of some of these and other superstitions from around the world. So who else to talk with but Deborah McElroy? She's the author of Superstitions, a handbook of folklore, myths, and legends from around the world. I asked her what she knows about the history behind the pervasive fear of the number 13. 13 itself is largely uh, attached to Christianity. There were 12 apostles at the Last Supper, and Judas was the 13th. So since he's the one who betrayed Christ, 13, his number, is considered a horrible number. And Christianity came to Western Europe and and the Americas very early on. So it's a a thing that's been with us for a long, long time. But most other cultures, 13, you know, non-Christian cultures, it's not a thing for them. There was a woman we heard from whose family comes from Puerto Rico, and she heard that if someone is sweeping and they brush your foot with the broom, then you'll never marry. What do you know about that one? That one is, for my research, it's it's Mexico and Central America. So Puerto Rico is connected more or less to that. But yeah, it has to do with, because sweeping is a domestic thing, it's attached to a woman's role in the family. And that if you sweep, at least it sweep across her in some fashion, then you're in in essence you're sweeping her role as a woman out of the house right so right so she'll if you sweep her feet she'll never marry or in some cultures she may not be able to get pregnant so anything that is traditionally domestic or oriented is often affected by sweeping what time of day you do it if you do it to somebody like who shouldn't be swept There's a great African uh, superstition that if a man is hit with a broom, that he'll become infertile, right? And the only way to undo this curse is for him to take the broom and hit whoever hit him with the broom seven times. Yeah, so it's it's very, very fascinating to me how these, these, again, cultural things uh, pop up. And then often there's a way to undo them. That's usually a couple steps above what the incident in itself was the infraction, if you will. There is the pervasive idea of the jinx. Yes. If you say something out loud, then you're going to jinx yourself and it's not going to happen. What do you know about jinxing? 
Jinxing is connected to magic, if you will. And I use magic in a broad term. You can call it superstition. You can call it witchcraft or whatever. Because the pow words have such power, you know, you can invoke demons by speaking certain words. So if you say the wrong thing at the wrong time, you potentially open yourself up to the demons or the devil or all of these horrible things that can come and invade you and, and make your life miserable. Which is so interesting because you think about how, you know, you can put like a, a vision board on and you could put what you want in life and you can you know, speak it and it will come. So some people also believe that speaking the words will get the good spirits to take them and run. Absolutely. And again, it, it speaks to the power of the spoken word, right? Originally, all of our traditions were passed orally long, long before we ever got a written language. So, you know, oratory, even in our modern society, is very powerful. Singers have a very uh, prominent place in our culture. Uh, a lot of us ha do not have that skill. We don't understand it. And so it seems magical. It seems mystical. And that gives the human voice a tremendous amount of power. Now let's talk about the theater. In the theater, superstitions are very powerful, like the single light that's always left on the, turned on on the stage, the ghost light. And of course, there's the famous superstition that you should never say Macbeth in a production, which reminds me, I love that Lin-Manuel Miranda included saying Macbeth in Hamilton. I trust you'll understand the reference to another Scottish tragedy without my having a name to play. They think me Macbeth. Ambition is my folly. And since Hamilton, even with that line about Macbeth in it, is one of the most successful musicals of all time, I am going to say that that superstition has officially been at least deflated. But what can you tell me about the history of saying Macbeth in a theater? One of the legends is that on the very first night of production of Shakespeare's play, the uh, the person who was playing the lead character, Macbeth, died. And Shakespeare himself had to step in to play that role. Uh, there are a number of other situations where someone in the production was injured or characters did, weren't able to do their production or, you know, things went horribly wrong. Theaters have burned down. I mean, there's all kinds of things connected, particularly to that play. They could be coincidences, sure, but theater people are very superstitious, as are a lot of sports people. And the reason for that is it's performance, right? Both of those situations, sports and theater, it's related to performance. And performance is seen particularly by outsiders as something magical. You don't know what the source of a performance is, right? So you're thinking, I've prepared as much as I can. What else can I do that's outside of me to give me that extra bump? To make me better or to protect me? Often it's protect me from failure right? Speaking of break a leg, to break a leg literally meant to take a bow. Ah, I see. Because, you know, you, you do this one leg straight and the other leg bent. And, you know, so if you say to somebody, break a leg or break the leg, as in taking a bow, it means I hope your performance goes well enough that you get to take a bow at the end. What's the takeaway for you with all the research you did? How does having a superstition 
connect the human animal? What does it do for us? Mankind and I and womankind, humankind, you know, uh, humanity, yes, has always felt a need to try and control our environment, right? We were poor creatures living in caves with no idea what was going on in the world, trying to avoid being eaten by wild animals and, you know, just survive as a species. And so over time, there has been this attempt to understand the chaos of our world and how can we shrink that down to something we could control. We knew or have always believed that there's something greater than ourselves. Obviously, people, not some people don't necessarily believe that. But as a group of humanity, we believe that some, some mind, some spirit, some being is out there that is greater than ourselves. And it is something that we can never attain as humans, right? But by creating these little superstitions, these little uh, traditions and rituals that we perform, we give ourselves a sense of control. Even if it's illusion, by continuing to do these things, we have some measure of control over this chaos that our little marble spins in. I think that's just a, a wonder of humanity and how we find ways to just help ourselves in the spinning madness of the universe. Deborah McElroy, author of Superstitions, a handbook of folklore, myths, and legends from around the world. You can also find it under the name D.R. McElroy. Thank you so much for talking with me. Well, thank you so much. I really appreciated being here. Bye-bye. To hear my full conversation with Deborah, including the reason why some cultures feel that the number four is unlucky, plus some of her favorites from around the world, visit ctpublic.org audacious and click through to this show page. After the break... I wanted to break as many superstitions as I could in one day to see what it would do to me. Find out what happened to them and a few more listener stories about the superstitions they hold on to. I'm Kyone Wolf. This is Audacious. Be right back. This is Audacious. I'm Kyone Wolf. Today, we're talking about superstitions. Later, we'll hear about what happened when one man tried to break as many superstitions as he could in one day. But first, let's hear from more listeners who wanted to share their superstition stories. Here's Mike Ferguson from Hartford. My family has a superstition in which we are not allowed to wear an item of clothing for the first time on Fridays because it's bad luck. What the hell? <laughs> yeah, exactly. My my grandmother, it, it's my grandmother's uh, superstition. She has no idea where she got that from. She's been doing that like all her life. And that kind of transferred down and it's become malleable in such a way that it's not just clothing. It gets into like, if you're going to buy a car, don't buy a car on a Friday because that's bad luck. So it turns into like clothes and big purchases. <laughs> But there's all sorts of like little loopholes to get around that too. Like wear something for 15 minutes on Thursday night and you're fine for Friday because it's not the, the inaugural outing. So it's real, real hazy there. Even as it tripped me up this weekend, I bought a new watch this week 
it got delivered Thursday night and I didn't know what to do. I sat there like Thursday night going, should I wear this? Should I, should I not wear this? And I looked at it yesterday morning and went, man, I'm not even going to chance it. <laughs> and just left it off yesterday and threw it on today. So does that make Saturdays an especially like exciting day? <laughs> <laughs> it can be if you've got that one piece of like really fresh clothing that you want to wear and you've been waiting, waiting on. Absolutely. It's a, it's a good time to like, just go and be expressive and bring it out. <laughs> yeah. It's like, it's a, it's delayed. It's delayed gratification there. Are you glad that this superstition exists in your, in your existence? Sometimes yes. Sometimes no. I mean, sometimes the neurosis around like, should I use this thing on Friday? Gets a little like, and you know, but it is what it is there. Have you ever been tempted to do the thing, to wear the watch on a Friday, to to wear the shirt on a Friday? Have you ever been tempted to do it? Have you ever done it and not told anyone? I have been tempted and I have probably done it and realized later in the day more than anything else <laughs> that, oh, no, like this is the thing I've done now. So we'll just roll with it and, you know, kind of just play it off. <laughs> And you live to tell the tale. I mean, and I have lived to tell the tale. Most of the time, I actually will, like, on Thursday nights, just kind of go, is there anything new here? Like, <laughs> paw through and see if there's anything I got to wear for 10 or 15 minutes before I go to bed. <laughs> so you wouldn't wear anything to bed that would go into a Friday, or, or could you? I think at that point, you started on Thursday, so you're you're good. <laughs> and this is a very malleable superstition. You can kind of just jam it however you want. That was Mike Ferguson from Hartford. Next up, Cynthia Rojas from East Haven, Connecticut, has a superstition. I have feared that if I sat on a chair that was previously occupied by someone who was pregnant, that I might get pregnant too. It's interesting because a lot of people, when they get pregnant, people don't ask them, why did you decide to have a baby? You know, it's people like you and me who don't want children. We get, why don't you want kids? Which is interesting. Did you always know that you didn't want kids? Yes. Yeah. So that's important to know. So I, I didn't want kids and I always knew that. And this was also during my childbearing age. So when I knew that there was a possibility that I could get pregnant and there was no foolproof birth control for the exception of abstinence, which made no sense to me. I try to avoid everything possible. <laughs> in what ways does having this superstition serve you? In what ways does it make you feel better or more in control? That's it. I feel more in control. It's just too close for comfort. Everything's like touching and it's warm and that's how these things get created. And no, no, no. <laughs> It was too much for me. <laughs> now, when you tell people about the superstition, how do they respond? They think I'm crazy. Everyone thinks I'm crazy. It's the most crazy thing. But so I think not going under a ladder is crazy or opening the umbrella in the house. I mean, superstitions are based on craziness. Right. And um, don't make sense. And I never felt like I had to provide scientific data but I've never gotten pregnant. So I think I'm onto something. I think I'm onto something. <laughs> Thanks to Cynthia Rojas for sharing her story. Here's Don Ennis from West Hartford. My very best friend in the whole world, who is no longer with us, told me he felt 
that is sharing news about something that hasn't happened yet, but you're confident, almost 100% sure it might happen, it will happen, you want it to will it to the universe that it'll happen? He thinks there are people out there who are so jealous of anyone else's success that they will send you bad karma or they will wish it for you to fail, that you will not get your dream because they can't stand to see you happy. And he would never tell someone that kind of news. And I've learned that lesson from my friend and I honor good old Art Daily to this day in keeping that stuff close to my vest. As he put it, flying under the radar. Well, I'm sorry for your loss, but I, I imagine he would really love that you've continued the, the tradition of keeping it close to your chest. I hope so. Yeah. Is there any time where you think, well, I could tell this one person or I could tell my dog? <laughs> I will make exceptions to every rule. But I do think as much as I believe that people are generally good, that there are also mean-spirited people in this world. If we can will things to happen by putting it out into the universe, saying, please, fate, nature, God, whatever it is you believe in, make this happen, then maybe there are people who have the power to say, don't let that person be happy. But in my life, at least, every superstition I have is related to someone who I cared about or care about still. What do you think is more powerful, the gesture of honoring that person who you care about or the superstition on its own? Oh, absolutely. It's the person. It, without the person, it's irrelevant. It's a way of keeping those people who are no longer with us alive. I'm getting choked up. <laughs> that was Don Ennis from West Hartford. Wendy Allerton from Suffield has a superstition that it's bad luck to cross the yellow lines in parking lots. And she told me about it from her car. My heart rate is very elevated right now. I'm very excited to talk to you, but it's really because I was just tempted to go across yellow lines and I couldn't make myself do it. So when I'm in a parking lot, I literally could be the only car in the parking lot. It could be after a snowstorm and I'm at the Walmart. I will not go across the lines. I have to go up and down the rows. And I'm 100% convinced that as soon as I cross those lines, something bad's going to happen. I have no idea what it is. I feel like it could be a meteor from the sky or the snowplow shows up right at that moment, but I, ju I really just won't do it. So it's like you have one superpower and it's your superstition that would bring upon an asteroid to this planet and, and all end all of humankind. Yeah. So I'm really protecting the planet. Thank you. And I feel like it's my duty, really. I literally, I can't, I never have been able to. Um, you know, since before I had my driver's license, I always felt really anxious if someone was cutting across the parking lot that way. It was just out of order. Yeah. Because yes. why have lines if you're going to cut across them? Exactly. Do you think that this translates to any other part of your psyche, right? Is there is there any other way that you go about your world that this aligns perfectly with? You know, it might be almost every place in my life. Like if there is a boundary that I know that is there, I will try really hard to not cross it. I think boundaries in general are tough for me because I am a loving and kind person. But when someone sets up a guardrail or a boundary for me, I want to do everything I can to be respectful of that because then you don't bruise other people. You don't, you don't hurt other people because you know that it's there, right? If somebody said, Wendy... If you don't cross haphazardly through all these parking lot lines, 
this kitten will die. <laughs> so if you were forced to do this. <laughs> it's making me anxious just thinking about it. <laughs> But if you had to, and it was the right thing to do, and you would save the kitten, what do you think that would do to you? Well, I, I mean, if it's life-saving, if I have to, if there's a really good reason I would have to, I would do it. I'd clench my jaw and I'd probably have anxiety for a really long time afterwards. But it, like in my heart, if I know it's the right thing to do, I would do it. Have you considered when no one's watching, so you don't have a reputation to uphold, have you considered trying it to see how it would feel? No, I honestly have not. <laughs> in fact, when I'm by myself, I will do it even more. I will respect those lines even more because I don't have to explain it to anyone else. It's just I it's what I have to do. I I have to follow that that guideline. That was Wendy Allerton. As we talked about earlier in the show, there are a lot of superstitions surrounding sports. Here's Hartford resident Sean Lang with hers. A few years ago, I was up in Massachusetts with friends watching the Patriots game. They were in the Super Bowl. And earlier in the day, my friend Kim and I went to this golf shop so I could get my putter fitted. And he did it for free. So I was like, I should buy something. So they had a Patriots hat. So I bought a Patriots hat. So we're at our friend's house watching the game. And it was really getting down to the wire and getting really close. And I'm like, what's different? What's different? I'm like, that damn hat. I've never worn this hat before. I took it off and I flung it on the floor and the Patriots won. So if the Red Sox are in the World Series or the Pats are in the playoffs and I'd be at one of my favorite bars watching the game and superstitions were twofold. One was if the game was close, I couldn't leave my seat until the game was over. And then if it was like the playoffs, so there would be a, a next game. So I'd go back the next time for the next game, and I'd have to sit in the exact same seat that I sat in the time before. So those are my two big ones. What I wonder is how you square knowing that, like, you have to know the hat being on the floor or off your head or being in a different bar stool, like, you know that doesn't have anything to do. You know the players are not on the field thinking, is Sean in the seat? Is Sean wearing the hat? Like, you know that it has no outcome. And so I, I just, how do you square knowing that it has no effect and still feeling compelled to do it? Well, I think I don't square it. Maybe not my whole life, but I've had sports superstitions you know, for many, many years, like when I played softball back in the day, I had to wear a certain pair of socks. And I knew it had no bearing on the outcome of the game or, you know, how I played or whether my team won or not. But it was just what I had to do for me to feel like doing everything I can. You do what you got to do to help your team. And I guess there's really no downside, right? Because if you weren't to do these things, you wouldn't enjoy the game as much. Exactly. Exactly. Sitting in the same seat. If I'm out watching a game, I got to wear the same hat, the same hoodie to keep things consistent. That was Sean Lang. Now, what if you could take as many superstitions as possible and break them all in one day? 
That is exactly what Uba Butler did. He's a filmmaker and the author of the best-selling book, How to Bullshit Your Way to Number One. He joined me from London via Zoom, and I asked him to tell me why he did what he did. Yeah, I think at this moment in particular that superstitions are interesting to me because, I don't know, it feels like we're in a moment where people are guided more and more by their feelings towards things rather than their standing in reality. And that's understandable. You know, it is an uncertain time. There's a lot of our lives that we aren't in control of at the moment. So I feel like something which is guttural and that you feel feels very instinctive is something that you might want to grab onto at this moment in time. So superstitions to me were an interesting way to talk about what's going on in a larger sense. When you went throughout this day, what were some of the superstitions you broke that made your heart skip a beat? Like, this is going to be so much fun. Yeah, I so, yeah, I ended up breaking around about 15 superstitions in total. And I'm not completely unsuperstitious. I don't think any of us are. So the first thing I did was broke a mirror. That it didn't, didn't feel right. I mean, breaking mirrors doesn't feel right anyway. But yeah, that kind of made me squirm a little bit. One of them is uh, an Italian one is if you wear a wedding dress before your wedding day, then you're going to have seven years of bad sex. And I got to wear a wedding dress and I thought I looked fetching in my wedding dress. You did. Uh, you did. <laughs> Can't confirm. <laughs> and, uh, you know, when I'm in the wedding dress, I was running on the ladders, going on trains. Uh, I got on a boat and we went through down the Thames in London under Tower Bridge like I was James Bond. That was cool. I, I really enjoyed that bit. But there's tons around boats. You know, if you change the name of a boat, that's apparently really bad luck. And you changed it to HMS 666. <laughs> well, I had to go for it. You know, Her Majesty's the number of the devil. You brought a banana on the boat, which apparently uh, some believe it'll, it'll make you drown. And in some cultures, if you bring a banana on a sailboat, you'll make it so there will be no wind that day. Very powerful banana. Wow. Yeah, that is. That banana has got a lot more than just potassium in it. You know, that that's, that's, that's a powerful banana. I found it interesting, you know, looking into kind of, yeah, as you said, kind of the history of them. And bananas I heard was something to do with... Um, with a lot of kind of trade boats that went missing in between uh, the Caribbean and I think it was Spain. And uh, they blame the bananas rather than probably just the fact that crossing the Atlantic is a bit dangerous. But there was tons of that. I did. Uh, what else? I had some flowers on the boat. And then the idea was that the more of these superstitions that I broke, I would test my luck throughout this kind of experiment. So I had a darts player, which is a sport in Britain that... Um, which you know anyone's listen, listening's dad if they were british might play with a pint of beer and, and a cigarette in their mouth kind of like 70s kind of looking. that's exactly what darts is like here by the way <laughs> oh really okay <laughs> oh fine. yeah yeah, yeah. All right, okay well as in connecticut maybe you, you got you got some good darts going so I'll, i won't fill in the holes for you but um so i had a darts player kind of come out who'd had a bit to drink i had a darts board on top of my head and the idea was that he would hit, the, you know, he's a champion, so he should hit it. All good fortune, he should hit it. But, you know, maybe a little bit of bad fortune might make it, <laughs> might make it not my lucky day. And uh, I had did this three times throughout the day at different points. And uh, fortunately, there was one time he missed the dartboard, but it just went past my head. Which I like that slow motion replay of it, by the way, just falling <laughs> down. Now, you, when you were going through the streets of London in your wedding dress and going through all these 
really obvious, sometimes really obvious superstitions. You talked to a lot of people on the street. What kind of things did you hear in terms of responses to what you were doing and the questions you were asking about their superstitions? Yeah, people, I mean, I was, we, we filmed this particular sequence in kind of Hackney, which is East London, quite cool. And the people there were very superstitious. There was a, when I mentioned, um, you know, breaking a mirror, everyone kind of like took a step back as in like, oh, don't go there, my friend. Don't which even talk about breaking a mirror. <laughs> <laughs> and then, you know, stepping on the cracks in a pavement, you know, step on a crack, break your mother's back. I, I, a couple of people kind of went, we were kind of perturbed by that. But really out of about 15 people that we spoke to, I'd say 13 of them were superstitious. There's groups, you know, of people and they were superstitious, um, which is fascinating. You know, you have to remind yourself, pinch yourself and remember it's the 21st century and, that you know, we're still so kind of governed by these things. But I think in particular, as I said earlier, like it is a moment where people are trying to grapple onto something. They want control back in their lives and, you know, not smashing mirrors feels uh, makes sense. If you in, I don't know, three months, three years, get hit by a bus in London and die, do you expect that people be like, well, did you see that video? It just took a little time. <laughs> that is a great question. And there is something fascinating about planning for things which are going to last beyond your own kind of mortality, isn't there? Like, I love the idea of someone like David Bowie who puts out an album that comes out the day before he dies called Black Star. It's the name of his li liver lesion on his liver and all this stuff for his kind of... And there's something so amazing. All like Andy Kaufman, people still are thinking, you know, is this guy actually... This is amazing. I love the idea that when I die, people can, instead of my bad health and my poor life choices, people can blame it on the fact that I smash some mirrors in December 2020. Well, Uba Butler, thank you so much for talking to me and uh, good luck to you. Yeah, thank you so much. Cheers for having me. Audacious is produced by me and Katie Talarski at Connecticut Public Radio in Hartford. Special thanks to our social media editor, Megan Fitzgerald, for helping me connect with a lot of the folks who agreed to talk with us about their superstitions. And thanks to them for telling me their stories. To subscribe to the show and listen back to episodes about things like what it's like having your arm ripped off by a tiger, stories behind tattoo cover-ups, what it's like to be a world-famous meme, and what happens when you act like you belong in places where you definitely don't belong, visit ctpublic.org audacious. Send me your superstitions and reactions to this show on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Wolf, and my email is cwolf at ctpublic.org, and online use the hashtag audaciouspublic. Thanks for listening. <laughs>